Amen. Man, singing together is a nice little soul detox. I feel it anyways. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, Again, I guess I've been up here already. (laughs) Uh, It's Super Bowl Sunday. Um, Who's excited about it? Well, no, who's actually excited about it? I mean, like, we got... I've watched every Super Bowl since I was in, like, fourth grade. Have I really been excited about it? Maybe. I'll pretend like I care who wins this game, but let's, uh, let's take a vote to see who's going to win here. If this was a group of teenagers, I would have you all get up and, like, run from one end to the other, but um, I know some of our joints are, you know, the weather's cold, so we won't do that, but uh, Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles, anybody? Okay, there's a couple of good... Uh, Chiefs, anybody for the Chiefs? We got a big hand up there, that's good. Um, anybody still in denial and think the Lions could somehow win? Okay, a couple of us, that's good. Really, we have, we have as much odds as Lions fans of winning the Super Bowl right now that we, than we did before the season began. Um, it's the truth! Come on. This is church, let's be honest with each other. Okay, so we know where everybody stands. Um, I just found out you guys, some of you might have known this already, but there are two brothers that are actually playing each other. Did you know that? That they're on opposite teams and they're two brothers. Like, what did their parents feed them to be able to have two boys in the NFL? Like, that's, that's crazy. It's the Kels brothers. They're playing each other later in the day. And, I mean, they might be brothers, but this is the Super Bowl. So, like, there might be blood uh, between the two of them for sure. But who will win? Um, it's all it's all about the toy costs, actually. I, the odds of the toy costs. What's the odds of the toy costs? The coin toss. <laughs> 50-50. Good. You guys are doing great this morning. You can interpret my mix of words. Very good. Did you know this, though? That the past nine Super Bowls, uh, the team that won the toy costs... Why is it doing that? <laughs> what are you doing up there? It's probably because I'm wearing a hat and I need a haircut, but whatever. Maybe I need more coffee. The past nine straight teams that won the coin toss have actually lost the Super Bowl. Isn't that weird? Something about that. So I guess when it comes to the coin toss, why is that so hard for me to say right now? We'll know which one of those brothers is going to win right from the beginning. Um, Today, we're taking a look at a short story that is also between two brothers that has nothing to do with the Super Bowl. Uh, in Genesis 4. And at first read, you might look at the story and think it's a, a coin toss. I'm hopefully not going to have to say that phrase anymore. Um, between these two brothers about which one will get God's approval. It's really what it seems like. When you, when you first read it, it's like, what, why does one seem to get God's approval and the other doesn't? But as always, Genesis, the Bible, is extremely loaded. And this story I'm looking forward to walking through with you and opening back up because I think it, it's a story written long, long ago, many, many, many years ago, but will feel like it's written to you and me today. I think you'll find yourself in this story. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will speak through your Word and um, my interpretation of it, I suppose. Um, translate it to what the people in this room need to hear today and those who might be online with us, that you would uh, speak a word of life to them. Um, Call them home back to your kind face. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Adam made love to his wife 
Eve. All right, let's pause there and unpack that one for a while. Um, I think I need the flannel graph. It's time for the birds and the bees conversation. Um, I'm kidding. Although I could tell you how horrific my version of that was as a 12-year-old boy, um, but we'll just we'll do that later. Let's keep reading. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So this is great. Somebody got pregnant. But this is the first time that ever happened. And it's actually pretty fascinating when you think that even uh, if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, we're going through Genesis, a whole book of Genesis in a year. Uh, Adam and Eve had just gotten exiled from the garden because they had chosen sin. And yet they still were able to produce life. It it was no longer just God that was the one that created new life. We human beings actually get to be a part of that process. Human beings were given the ability to co-create with God. People have souls, and God gave us the ability to create new lives. Does that just kind of blow your mind a little bit, that we actually get to be a part of the process of bringing a new soul into existence? How incredible is that? My wife and I are expecting a child, and it's going to be a girl. And I'm three for three in my predictions, by the way. Uh, So it's just, it's got me thinking a lot about how amazing the miracle of life is. Verse 2. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, And Abel also brought an offering, which was the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So, both these brothers, the first, like, human-born children on the planet, brought an offering to give to God. And it's interesting that to this point, we're not told that God instructed them to do that. That God had commanded them to do that. It was, it was rather spontaneous that they responded to God by bringing these offerings. So these two brothers, who we are about to see, can still communicate with God in a conversive way like their parents did in chapter 3. Even after they were exiled from the garden. It continues. The Lord looked with favor, so they brought their two offerings... One brought the fruit, one brought the uh, firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face downcast. It looks like he, he lost the coin flip. But look at that. The first children that were in humanity that are birthed in the natural way that we understand birth between two people coming together, already there's jealousy and anger between these siblings. Was God playing favorites? Why does it say that God looked on Abel's offering of the firstborn, the fattened sections of the firstborn of his flock with favor and not Cain's, which were of the fruit. The answer is the Israelites would have heard the story, which is always important for us to think about, the ears of those who would have first received these stories, that we, 
we have to filter how we take it for today through those lenses as best as we can. So that's what I'm always trying to do up here as best as I can. That they would have understood that Abel brought the firstborn, so the most precious of his flock, as an offering to God. So he took the very first, the very most precious thing that he had to offer from his flock and brought it to God. Well, it says that Cain, the other brother, brought some fruit. So written between the lines of ancient Israel here ears was that Cain brought a casual offering and his brother Abel brought the best that he could. It's like when, when you have a, a bag of grapes from Meyer, and you know how, for however it happens, some of the grapes like will fall off the stem and go to the bottom of the bag, and those ones end up like smushy and nasty. I still give those ones to my kids, actually. Um, but those, those are the throwaway grapes. It's like Cain brought his throwaways to God. And so at that point, only... Abel's offering was looked on as favorable favorable to God because Abel brought something that communicated his faith in God and gratefulness to God for his provision. Instead of looking inward, though, and learning from what he could do differently, and instead of Cain depending on the generosity of God to teach him what he could have done differently to bring his best, Cain becomes angry towards his brother. And Cain's anger, God notices Cain's anger, so when he and God have this short conversation about it, in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is so loaded. God is having a parental conversation with his child. Can't you just see, like, Danny Tanner, DJ, Stephanie, they're sitting on that bed. They all three of the girls stay in that bed. The piano music. Boom. But seriously, what God says here is so deep and still so profound for today. He says, look, my child, you've got to be careful to try and do the right thing. But it, it doesn't seem like you even tried. And when you don't try to do the right thing, and when you don't show me that you trust me, you'll be taken over by something evil that's just waiting to attack you. Because sin is crouching at your door. You, you need to be careful how you respond in your anger. Otherwise, you will be destroyed by the consequences of your actions. Be careful, my child. So God and Cain end their short conversation, and it says this in the next verse. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. God was right. Something 
came over Cain's. He gave in to something that led him to commit the first murder. Cain had just killed his brother against the warning that God had just given him. Now that's some rage. I have three brothers and two sisters. The closest I've ever gotten to that sort of like brotherly murder was when I, when my brother came home and he caught me playing his Nintendo 64 without asking him. <laughs> because the graphics were so realistic and I just couldn't help it. Um, we already see in the second generation that the result of sin entering into the world, the, that the disobedience of Adam and Eve with what was originally in order to not eat from one tree in the garden, has already led to chaos of a tragic kind. A brother killing a brother. Family killing family. And it's ironic that this, too, was connected to fruit. Just like Adam and Eve's thing was connected to fruit as well. The Bible is really cool. So to follow up this tragedy, it feels so similar God's response, like when Adam and Eve sinned, they uh, hid themselves with leaves, clothes, and God went into the garden and looked for them and asked, where are you? Look at what he does here, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? It's like the same, the same rhythm happening over again. Where is your brother? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? There's a pattern. God begins the question the same way that he did with Cain's parents. Where? Where are you? Where's your brother? The Hebrew word for where in this question is less of a general sense of geography and it's more about raising the question is why, is, why is that person not here? It's asking, something's missing. <laughs> There's a relational gap. God is asking, why is your brother not present here with us? It's more about locating the attention of one's heart. And then Cain asks the all-important question, in his response, he says, I don't know. He's, he's not my responsibility. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? I wonder if Cain really thought that God wouldn't notice. If he just didn't know better. And if he really underestimated how deeply... God loves every one of his created people. To Cain, his brother was an object in the way rather than a fellow divine image bearer to share in the blessings and struggles of life together. So God's response to Cain's coldness come in verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your, bro your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Wow. The word in the original Hebrew there too is za'ak. It's a cry, it's a, sh- it's a shriek. It's a cry of deep anguish. And the rest of the Old Testament is filled with uses of that word. The za'ak of people, the cries of God's people for justice. The injustice of Cain's, of Abel's blood cries out from the ground. And the ears of the Lord are attentive to hear it. This is a cry that we can hear today. A cry of humanity all over the world and at all moments in history. That cry sort of started here. I was reminded of that again on Tuesday during the attic. Um, it's the after-school program, like I said, that we uh, do uh, lead across the parking lot, and I'm, I'm stepping in to be the director of that, and many of you help with it to help students write a better story. And uh, there's about 20 kids there, um, and one of them uh, came up to me. It's, it's Black History Month, and w- the schools are highlighting uh, the unsung heroes in the black community, uh, black American community, and the cries of anguish from the history of racism in our country. Um, On Tuesday, a student uh, confronted me. I know her fairly well, but she asked me if I believe that black lives matter. And of course, I said, yeah, of course. Then she reminded me of some of the atrocious things that people with my skin color have historically done to people with hers. She was the voice of her ancestors crying out. So we sat and we lamented and we didn't share many words, but the blood of injustice is still crying out. You can hear the za'ak still crying out hundreds of years later. There's more recent examples than that in that area, redlining, The blood of Abel cries out a million different ways a day. And the good news is that God hears the cry. He hears the cries of the oppressed. He hears the cries, the za'ak of people who are marginalized. God hears our lament, including the one that you're thinking of, whatever that might be. From this, the very first violent injustice, God says, the blood cries out to me. The New Testament Uh, Later, the second, kind of second half of the Bible makes reference to the blood of Cain a couple of times. Jesus himself references it, and we'll finish in a second 
with another reference, but I want to finish reading our story first. Uh, Verse 11. It says, now you, so this is God giving Cain, he's giving him the consequences of what now is going to happen to him as a result of his actions, his sin, his, his injustice. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be re- a restless wanderer on earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. He's afraid of being hidden from God's presence. I will be a restless wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. What would you say if you were God in that situation? Yeah, good luck. You shouldn't have killed your brother. (laughs) Why would you do that? But the Lord said to him, not so. And doesn't that, isn't that conflicting? Not so. Well, why not? Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him will kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. There's many things, many, many, many things that we could unpack through what I just fast-forwarded through there. Many questions. But we see that surprise again. When God found Adam and Eve and they had done the one thing he told them they shouldn't do or they couldn't do, his response was to still meet with them and give them better clothes, even while he was leading them out of the garden. God's response to this horrific thing was still to let Cain live, even though the consequences from that moment would be felt even still to today. We see in the middle of this human creation, God's human creations are abusing the gift of life and each other, and God is still merciful in the handling of Cain. While he still warns that the blood of those who have died unjustly cry out to him for justice. Za'ak. God is full of mercy, yet not overlooking injustice. Which raises a great question for you. As we've been reading this story of these two brothers, which brother are you? Which one are you? Are you crying out the za'ak anguish for justice? Or do you have blood on your hands? The true answer for every one of us is, is both. Who in here isn't crying out for something deep? 
for yourself or on behalf of the injustice that we see in the world. Our reasons for za'ak, for the anguish, for the cry, are different, but the cry is the same, and it's directed the same way. We need something higher than us. We all do need to be honest as well. Who in here hasn't let the sin crouching at your door lead you to do, say, and think some terrible things? None of us. We are all guilty. And we're all crying out. We're both brothers in the story. And honestly, what does this story lead us to think then? That we really need a Savior. Because we're not enough on our own. We need God to hear our cries, and He does. And we need God to forgive us of the blood that's on our hands. I'm here to share some good news, though. We can approach God with our cries and our guilt. Listen to these words from Hebrews 12. You can come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What connection is he making there? What better word does the blood of Jesus speak? That you were once dead in your sins, but he's made you alive again. That Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one by, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in his body to reconcile both of them to God by the cross, which... He put to death their hostility. We need Jesus. Humanity has been crying out, Za'ak, from the beginning, and we have our answer. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. We can't do it without him. We're not enough. Let's believe that God hears our cries and somehow, mysteriously, miraculously, generously forgives our sins. Where else in all of the universe can you find both of those opposing things come together in one person. The blood cries out. 
We see it every day. It breaks our hearts, and doesn't it make you just look like, God, please, like, come back. (laughs) End this. Stop this. In Jesus, we're told that he will, and he is. And in him, death itself is defeated. We can't do it without Jesus. We are lost without him. Let's pray. You've heard our cry. The whole story of your people whom you called out of the desert all the way up till Jesus, all the way up till now. Desperate people. There's a God-shaped hole inside of all of us. There's nothing that can fill the need and cry that we have for justice and nothing that we can ever have apart from you that can fill the need for forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption. We trust you today. That's a big hole to fill. That seems like an impossible hole to fill. Especially as we live in a world that continues to push each other to the side and yell and scream at each other. Their collective cry. Especially since we've hurt each other so badly. And there's nothing that we can do to undo that. But we trust you, Lord, with what we can't fix. We need your sweet voice of conviction to show us where we need to repent. And we take hope knowing that you hear the cries. The za'ak. From the crying baby all the way up to the elderly person on their deathbed bed taking their last breath. You hear it all. You're present with us. So we need you today.